Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Intuitive code shouldn't really need comments. So if you're naming things appropriately, if it's very clear what they're doing, if you're keeping them pretty small, um, which are all good practices to follow, then you shouldn't need to comment a ton. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. These talks are designed to both introduce advanced subjects and provide insight into the work being done in these fields. My name is Christy Peralt. I'm a senior software engineer at Liberty Mutual Insurance. I work in a serverless enablement and development team, specifically with the AWS cloud. Uh, I've been with Liberty for about four years now, um, plus a one-year internship. I hold a master's degree in electrical and computer engineering with focuses in data analytics, cloud computing, and robotics, um, which I achieved from Boston University this past January. Uh, So it's almost been a year already. Um, And I actually did this while working full-time over 16 months and the pandemic. Uh, So clean code is defined as code that is easy to understand, easy to change, and follows good standards. And this is defined by Robert C. Martin, who wrote the clean code handbook. Um, And we're kind of going to dig into this a little bit more um, since I know these definitions are a little obscure and kind of high level. So I'll call out that clean code answers the questions what, how, and why. Um, So if your code is clean, you're gonna be able to say, you know, what is it that I'm looking at? What am I coding? Um, How is it built out? Um, Why is it built out in the way that it is? Um, Why does this certain class correspond with this class? Um, Why does this object uh, work with this one? Or how does it work? Um, So some of those questions uh, should be clear um, to answer in your clean code. Clean code is also refactorable. So as we know in technology, things are changing all the time. Uh, So your code should be written in a way that it can handle these changes um, and these updates. So different dependencies, maybe even a language version update. Uh, It should be pretty easy to do these things uh, in clean code. Clean code is also maintainable. So as you're building out features, uh, new aspects, maybe building more microservices to interact with it, uh, it should be easy to do this if your code is clean. Uh, As was apparent in the TypeScript example, clean code should be formatted and readable. Uh, I'll be the first to say I do not care if you prefer tabs or spaces, just pick one and stick with it through the whole way. Uh, It's going to make your life so much easier. Uh, And finally, clean code is easy to test. So writing unit tests, writing integration tests, um, or even manually testing this out in other environments uh, should be easy to do with clean code. Probably more importantly, I do want to call out some of the things that clean code is not. Uh, So clean code is not just commenting everything. Um, Just because you add a bunch of comments, it might make it easier to understand, but it's not going to hit all these other things that I just talked about with being refactorable, maintainable, um, answering those some of those questions. Uh, It's also not just making your code look quote unquote nice. Um, So just because you clean it up, does not mean that the capabilities are going to be clean and it's going to be easy to interact with. 
Uh, and I will wrap up this with saying there's kind of a caveat. This is there's no one right way to do this. Um, there's no big golden standard. Uh, I know this is a JavaScript chat, but I'm trying to be a little programming language agnostic here. So it's going to vary um, whether you're in JavaScript, whether you're in Python, whether you're in Java. Um, so there's not really one right way to do this. Um, these are just some of the standards and things I'm going to share with you today um, that have worked for me in the past. Um, and I just want to pass on to you folks as well. So use these as a good starting point and uh, kind of take what uh, resonates with you and leave what doesn't. So the first thing is your team coding standards. So this is a standard document that your team will agree on and set for your code. Uh, for those of you that work in agile environments, this is different than a team working agreement. So a team working agreement would define how you run your ceremonies, how your team interacts, um, maybe how you want to handle uh, working with the business side of your, of your team. Um, but a team coding standard should be a living document that outlines uh, standards you set on your code specifically. So it's really for your dev team. Uh, and you'll want to revisit this pretty often. The most obvious times are when you gain or lose a team member um, or do the same with a project. Um, but I would recommend uh, every so often if your team does uh, retrospectives, um, this is a good time to bring this up and revisit it. So just a sample team coding standards. This is something that my team likes to follow. I'll kind of quickly go through this. So have a recommended tool set, you know, what kind of programming languages you want to use, what kind of plugins you want associated with that, um, and what kind of IDE you might want to use. So, you know, maybe a popular one for JavaScript or TypeScript would be VS Code or the TS Linter. Uh, your branching strategy. So if you want to do feature branches, how you want to name them, um, maybe you just want to go from develop to your main branch. Your testing strategy, so how you want to write your unit tests, how you want to write your manual tests. Uh, maybe you own a process that has a lot of common test scenarios across it, so you can document that here as well. Uh, your language specific guides, so what version of JavaScript or TypeScript do you want to use? What kind of style guide do you want to follow? Um, I found the Google style guide's been pretty helpful. Uh, and then kind of the format for your doc strings and your comment blocks as well. Uh, I would also recommend keeping your code review policy and your readme outline in your team coding standards, but I'm going to talk about both of these things more in depth. So the next piece of this is your environment setup. I would highly recommend you do this as a team uh, and you try your best to stick to the same tools. Uh, you might be pretty opinionated or have a team member that's pretty opinionated and wants to stick with what they know. Uh, that's totally fine. Uh, I just recommend the same tools because it makes it really easy to help onboard folks um, or to troubleshoot code or when you're pairing um, and you kind of avoid that, well, it works on my machine issue. Live code sharing is another really cool tool. If you haven't heard of this, it's basically like um, Google Docs, but in an IDE. So VS Code has a plugin for this called VS Code Live. Uh, and somebody just starts up a session and shares uh, their email out with everyone. Um, and then you can join the session together. So especially in this virtual world, it's a really great way to pair or to mob on stories. Um, so if you haven't heard of it, I would definitely uh, check it out. Um, and you can include this in your environment setup. Uh, and finally, just make sure you're following your code standards. Uh, as you're going through the environment setup, you might find that um, something in your code standards doesn't line up or it's different or you wanna change it. That's why it's a living document. Um, so just make sure you're staying consistent across both things. All right, so documentation, everybody's favorite topic. 
Uh, so starting at the lowest level, we have our comments. Uh, so there's kind of two big ones. So one would be like the method level comments uh, and the other is like your line comments. Um, so I find that method level comments or definition level comments um, are really useful when you have a lot of heavy logic going on um, or it's something that needs a lot of clarity. Um, so this could be in your service layers. Um, it could be an API. Uh, it could be like a controller that you're trying to define. Um, basically anything where it's not exactly clear or there's a lot happening. Uh, I wouldn't say, I would say that, um, you know, I have this note here, intuitive code shouldn't really need comments. So if you're naming things appropriately, if it's very clear what they're doing, if you're keeping them pretty small, um, which are all good practices to follow, then you shouldn't need to comment a ton. Um, especially if you have little utility or helper methods, uh, it's very clear exactly what it's doing. You know, add two numbers and you name it, add two numbers. You probably don't need a comment to illustrate that. Um, so this is kind of up to your discretion a little bit. Um, again, I just want to reiterate, don't comment everything and then say that it's clean because in some cases it just makes it longer and a little bit messier. Readmes, on the other hand, uh, I believe you should always, always, always include a readme for your project. I don't care if it's doing the smallest, littlest thing. Um, this is kind of like your home base for everybody. So it's for you, it's for other developers in your code, it's for community contributors. It's sometimes even for the business side um, to understand what's going on in your space. You may have multiple ones, um, definitely a root level, but uh, in some cases, I know with uh, some of the cloud programming that I do, we deploy things in different stacks um, and we like to call out what's in each stack. So sometimes we use other readmes. Um, I would also highly recommend that you follow a standard template for your readme, uh, which I will also share on the next page and go through kind of what we like to follow on my team. Uh, and don't be afraid to link out to other resources here. Um, definitely, like I said, use this as your home base. There's nothing more frustrating than having a lot of really great documentation and then developers or folks trying to look at this not knowing where to find it. So here's like a sample readme that my team likes to follow. Uh, at the top, we will call out the project name and we'll include badges. Um, so if you haven't heard of badges, they're just these little things that call out your build deploy status. Um, you can put in your branch builds, you can put in um, all your different environments. You can even put in things like if you have open pull requests uh, and it'll just tell you the status of them or in the case of pull requests, how many there are. Um, so those are great to include at the top of your project as just kind of a quick point um, to check and see where the code is at. Below that, we include an overview. So this is just a high level description of what your repository is doing. Uh, this could be one or two sentences. It could be several paragraphs, depending on how complex your project is. One of the things we like to do is also call out some of the key resources we're creating in this project. So if it's an API, uh, if you have a database, um, we work a lot with Lambda functions in the cloud. So we call those out. Um, just a short description of what each thing is doing and maybe what it's named. So it's pretty clear right off the bat exactly what you're generating in this project or maintaining. Probably the most important thing is to have instructions on how to build and run your project locally. Uh, even if you know you're the only one that's going to be here, 
there have been cases where somebody might be on vacation, um, where you step away from it for a while and you come back and you don't remember how to do it. Um, and it's a good way to kind of keep up to date with um, what versions um, and things that you're running on here. So you'd want to list out exactly what your required installs are. Uh, for us, that tends to be like the AWS CLI, the CDK, um, the version of Python or JavaScript that you're running, uh, and then link out to those resources as well. It makes it really easy for folks that are just getting started with your project to do a couple quick clicks, downloads right away, um, and they have everything they need right there. Uh, and then the actual instructions for how to build and run locally. So definitely just copy and paste those exact commands that you're running uh, so that everybody can use it. And it is also very nice to just go in here and copy and paste whenever you're in here um, to run your commands so you don't have to click through your command line window. Similarly, I would do the same thing with your tests. So write out the steps to run your unit tests. Um, maybe you have to change into a folder to run them. Um, or you might be testing manually. So APIs is a great um, a great example of this. And this also kind of goes hand in hand with the endpoint documentation piece. Uh, so definitely call out exactly what endpoints you're trying to hit um, and then what you would expect the request body to be and what you would expect the response body to be. Uh, we like to use Postman. I know Insomnia is another popular one, but we've even included like screenshots of exactly what the window looks like. Um, so that there's no confusion and somebody can get up and going pretty quickly. Uh, and then finally, we just have a one line like contributors section that lists out our team members, links to our team page in case folks have questions or there's something that's out of date or needs to be updated in the project. Uh, external documentation is kind of the last piece of documentation. This one is not always necessary. Um, if it is, it could be like a wiki page that it, that's explaining something more. Um, it could be if you have like a Git book. Uh, we've also used MK Docs as another one. Um, they're all just code generated uh, documentation sites. Um, well architected reviews um, are great to link out to as well. If you have any sort of diagramming uh, like lucid charts or in security, there's threat models uh, are pretty common. You can link out to all those things here. Uh, and as I said before, just make sure you're linking them so that your documentation isn't all over the place um, and it's all together. Okay, code reviews. So this one's my favorite one. Uh, the thing that I want to emphasize and probably the number one takeaway from this talk is that you should use code reviews as a learning tool. Um, it's good for anybody who's junior all the way through your senior level. Um, there's great things to learn from code reviews. Uh, I would encourage you to always just ask questions and have discussions. Uh, this one's a little bit controversial, but I believe that no comment is too small or too silly. Um, when I started out on my team, I did not feel like I was qualified or knew enough about the code bases that we were working in to comment things. Um, so I just got really nitpicky and I just picked out typos, um, comments that were off. Uh, if I had a better name for a variable or just a billion questions, I'd throw it in there because it gets you really comfortable with just putting yourself out there and commenting in code. And some of those things with the content and the context of what's happening um, and more of the logical comments um, will come more naturally uh, over as you start to learn and you start to get more um, into the code. So don't worry about it too, too much in the beginning and just do what you can to kind of put things out there. 
If you're more senior, this is a great opportunity for you to explain why or how you did something. Um, and it gets you practicing with um, kind of explaining your method to more junior folks um, and mentoring folks. So we have, uh, we open a pull request. Sometimes I'll go back in and say like, hey, um, just so you know, I did this this way instead of this way because of X, Y, Z. Or wow, I found this really cool new library I wanted to try out. Um, so that's why I'm using it here. Here's a link to it if you want to check it out. Um, so these just kind of get ahead of some of the questions and start generating some of the discussion in your pull requests. Uh, and finally, don't take things too personally. Um, we actually have that in our team standards as a rule <laughs> um, that you shouldn't take the comments and code personally. If things are starting to get a little heated or maybe misconstrued, uh, highly recommend just pop on a call and talk about it. Um, it's so much easier and more productive than like going through um, uh, text sometimes because it can get misconstrued every so often. But we just know to take thing, not to take everything personally. Cool. Um, so kind of to, to wrap up a little bit here, uh, I do want to share that um, this stuff works. Um, I have three different really clear examples of uh, what I've done in the past. So a lot of those screenshots were from a database application that I created in the past in Java Spring Boot. Uh, and we actually passed this off to a team of folks that weren't developers to maintain. Um, so this was uh, network admins, DBAs, um, folks that aren't traditionally developers. Um, and we passed it off in, I think, two hours. And this was a project that had about 20 repositories. Um, but because our documentation was set up right, because we had all those steps for running, installing, and setting up in the readme docs, um, they didn't have any questions. They were able to take it and run with it. And uh, this application is actually still in use in our company today. Uh, and they're still actively building features out on it. And I almost never hear from them, which is absolutely unheard of if you've ever passed something off to another team. Um, so that speaks a lot to our clean coding practices. Uh, additionally, on my current team, we have a lot of kind of inner source, open source collaboration. So other folks in our company are welcome to contribute to um, some of our applications. Um, and we've got nothing but positive feedback about that because we include in our README docs exactly how we want you to contribute. Um, and we show them exactly how we do our branching strategy, exactly how we do our testing, um, which makes it really easy on everyone um, because customers aren't waiting on us for features and they can contribute right away and it can be done pretty easily and painlessly. Uh, and finally, we do a internal 24 hour hackathon every year. Normally it takes place in person in Boston. Um, I think we're switching to virtual uh, this year. But um, we uh, joined as a team uh, out of, I think we had about 40 or 50 teams the last time this was in person. Uh, and we followed these best practices over the 24 hours. Um, and we actually won the Tech Excellence Prize um, for the whole hackathon. Uh, so this stuff works and timing is definitely not an excuse because we did it in 24 hours and still built out tests and documentation. So one of the biggest questions or things that I hear about clean code is, you know, this is all great. I agree with you, but like my team doesn't agree with you. Or how do I get this prioritized with my product owner? Um, because I know that a lot of folks sometimes are dealing with putting out fires pretty constantly or aren't in the unique position that my team's in where we're developing a lot of um, applications from the ground up. Um, so my three big things here are time, cost, and security. And they tend to be the three things that companies really care about as a whole. If you're doing a lot of these things up front, it is going to take a little bit of time. 
but the time and the money that it's going to save you down the road is huge. Um, that one person that knows their one app super well and nobody else knows it, eventually they will leave or that app is going to be passed down to somebody else or it's going to have to be refactored. Um, so doing this stuff up front may not be the most fun, but it's going to save you in some of those kinds of situations um, or in the case of my database application, like the handoffs. Um, it's going to make a lot of those things easier and more painless. Security is another big one here. Um, keeping on top of some of these things also is addressing a lot of your tech debt. Uh, and as you're addressing tech debt, you're going to make your applications more secure because typically um, those updated versions, dependencies um, are going to include security patches um, or things that have been fixed in previous versions. Um, so it will make your applications more secure in the long run too. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate and comment.